0: our relationships, our intimate romantic partnerships, they, and this was very true for me, they tend to reflect and be extensions of our parental dynamics during our developmental years. So those basic fundamental needs is we want to be seen, we want to be heard, we want to be understood, particularly for men, we want to be appreciated, accepted, respected, and we want to be loved, right? And so it's important that we we process these parts of us. So the inner child is that, you know, it's that aspect of the psyche that, it just wants to feel safe in the world. It wants to continue to explore. It's full of curiosity and wonder. And we often stunt that as adults, man.
1: I'm Doug Bopes, personal trainer, best selling author, and entrepreneur. And I'm on a mission to help others become the best version of themselves. So I'd like to welcome you to the Adversity Advantage podcast, where we will help you use obstacles, failures, and setbacks to give you that edge needed for success. I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life on how they overcame trials and turned them into triumphs. So please, sit back, relax, and get ready to be absolutely blown away by some of the wisdom and stories you're about to hear. Welcome back to another episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bopes, and today's guest on the show is my good friend, Stefano Safandos, who is a relationship coach, and we have an explosive conversation um to help us understand the importance of doing the inner work on ourselves so we can evolve as humans in his very practical steps um he really helps us understand and teach how to deal with the inner child which you know can keep many adults stuck in unhealthy cycles unhealthy patterns and it's time to break free of that because you know when you don't do the work when you don't you know heal those childhood wounds they present themselves in our adult relationships and Steph and I connected, um, you know, earlier this year, and have developed a great relationship and helping each other out and become good friends. And he's a great guy, great dude. And I enjoyed this conversation. Um, and I actually did his inner child workshop with him and his wife, Christine Hassler, um, earlier this year as well. And it was game changing for me. It helped me so much with a lot of things um, that I was working through. And um, I'm actually having Christine on the show here in a few weeks. We're going to be recording, so be on the lookout for that as well. But without further ado, I'd like to welcome my man, Steph, to the show. Steph, man, thanks for coming on the show.
0: Brother, it's so good to be here.
1: Yeah, and like I know you and I have been talking a lot the last few months, and we, we both are very blessed to have come out on the other side of adversity, in ways that have allowed us to help other people kind of navigate through the tough times that we went through, and I know for you today, like your relationship expert, like your your business is set around helping people rediscover themselves from the inside out, doing the inner work, making sure that they don't make the same mistakes that you did. And you have a, an amazing marriage now with your wife. But talk about like what led up to that? Like, what did this stem from? Because I think the most beautiful businesses are built out of a uh, necessary transformation so, to talk about like what led you into this coaching business?
0: Yeah. Contrast, man. I mean, that's, you sort of nailed it there. We learn deeply through contrast. Right. And so I've been in the coaching space since I was really 18 years old in different expressions. And so I started really in the, in the health and wellness space in the physical health and wellness space. So, being a train, personal trainer, gyms, being a coach, really getting qualified in, in so many different arenas there, opening up one of the first CrossFit gyms in Australia very early on in, in, cross, in the CrossFit days and having gyms there. And, but all that while I was also studying psychology and behavioural science, social psychology, and really expanding my mind and coaching people and, and, and working with people. The missing ingredient, though, for me, brother, and, and since I've been doing that for so long, I'm 38 now, the missing, the missing ingredient was, it was integrity in me, man. I wasn't doing my own inner work. I was, but I was only dipping my feet in the shallows. And so I was constantly coming up against pain in my relationships, disconnection, disharmony. I was isolating myself, was angry a lot of the time, a lot of undealt un with, I hadn't dealt with my childhood wounding and my trauma and the abuse that I experienced, the relationship with my parents and it was just a lot that I wasn't looking at and I was unfaithful in my relationships in pretty much all of them and, and to some real extremes as well. And just, just complete neglect for myself and for others, you know, high risk taking as well in different ways. And just, I just wasn't healthy in myself yet. I was presenting this particular, particular way to the world and I was sincerely helping people. Don't get me wrong, but it was, it was, it, I wasn't doing it for the right reasons and it was, it wasn't meaningful, man. It was, it felt empty to me because I was feeling empty. And so where all of that started to unravel is when I started just speaking my truth. And honestly, that was forced upon me. man. I didn't even have, you know, I'd been playing and toying with the, with the courage of saying, okay, you know what? I'm going to tell my, this was years ago. I'm going to tell my girlfriend, I've been cheating on her. um, And I don't want to be in this relationship anymore. And, And she just ended up finding out before I even got to that point, but that unpacked and unraveled a hell of a lot of stuff. And really that was the opportunity for me. I said to myself, I can either continue the same behavior, keep blaming everyone else for my misfortunes, or actually because my business was my businesses were burn, build, burn, build. You know, one month I'd have money, the next three months I wouldn't. It was just crazy extremes as well, right? And I can stop blaming others or I can just go within and really start to understand me and take responsibility for who I am and start feeling again at a deeper level. And that's what I did. And that was a journey of years, man. But it really, it was very freeing for me. And there were many things that I did in that space, you know, and I was, like many of us have experienced a lot of pain. I was suicidal. I was depressed. I was disconnected. I lost, friend, you know, key friendships that I thought were very, very important to me. And they were. There was there was a lot of loss. I lost my businesses. I was in massive debt. I lost my identity multiple times. Uh, you know, I was cleaning toilets. And this is a person that's highly qualified, Highly educated. However, there were just things I needed to do, such as become creative at a deeper level and not be consumed by full-time work that I wasn't really interested in. So there's just there was just a lot that was going on. But I just I, I just went deep, man, deep in the self.
1: Yeah, there's a lot to a lot to unpack there. And I think the the interesting thing is, what you see, it's it's very common. A lot more than people think. Is you had you had the background in psychology, you had the background in behavioral science. You know, you quote unquote, were starting to do the work. You were in a industry where you're a coach and you're used to like growing and growing as in the health and fitness space, which I've been a trainer now for almost a decade myself. Mm -hmm. So I get that. And we hear a lot about doing the work and going inside and going back into our childhood. But I think it gets kind of misinterpreted sometimes because people really don't understand what it means. They're like, oh, does that mean that I have to have this perfect relationship with my parents in order for me to heal? Does that mean that I have to completely forget about the abuse? And we all know, we know, I guess you and I know that's not the case. So talk a bit about like, what's the, how? like, what did you have to do to really unpack a lot of these things that helped you kind of rewrite your patterns in your life where you're living now?
0: Yeah, the immediate thing that we all say is, well, you we just have to forgive and let go of the past. And that's all good and well. And that's, that's a very real part and an integral part of the entire pro the healing journey and process. However, we can't get to forgiveness before we feel. And so for me, I had to really feel my suppressed feelings That weren't expressed fully expressed and felt at the time of infliction, infliction of trauma and pain that I'd experienced multiple times during my years, my developmental years as a child, and I had to do that in a safe place. So I sought counselling, I sought therapy, I I sought working with shamans. I I was working with breath work facilitators, energy healers, psychologists. I, I was really working with people. I was in plant medicine. I was spending time in solitude. I was going deeper within myself. I was meditating profoundly, spending time in nature. I was deliberate with how I was expressing, thinking and feeling. I wasn't ignoring what I was numbing for so long, like the anger that I had. I I was always frustrated and angry, man. I was agitated, short-tempered. And yeah, I knew that my father was like that. So I just thought, oh, well, I'm just like my father. But it wasn't just that. It was all the unfelt stuff that I wasn't allowing myself to actually move through to free myself You know, we we talk about forgiveness, but there's a process. There's feeling forgiveness, freedom. And in order to really, or even feeling freedom, forgiveness, freedom. And in order to really feel free, we have to feel what we've been avoiding for so, so long. Mm.
1: Yeah. And it's so well said because I think so many times when people go through tough times, whether it's in personal, professionally, we want to just take quick fixes and just mask the pain right away, right? And and try to, to fix a long-term problem with a short-term solution. And then inevitably what we do is we take this golf ball size of a problem and make it into a bowling ball size problem based on the way we respond and react, right? And I think in order to really experience true acceptance for what's how something happens, we have to go through the feelings of it because it's a natural process of our bodies, right? is to not suppress emotions, because probably, if you're recovering from a traumatic or toxic situation, feelings and emotions were probably suppressed during that whole time anyway. They weren't naturally expressed. So being able to seek out counseling and journaling and and doing things where you're just able to just kind of get things out and then also sitting it within it to gain peace and forgiveness and and letting it all go is what ultimately will continue us growing. As a man, I mean, you and I are both obviously male, so I'll say, as a man, right? Is and I think the reason I'm bringing this up is a lot of males are afraid, in my experience, to admit and raise their hand when they're having emotional issues or they're struggling with mm-hmm. their mental health. So, talk a bit about how your experience with your own things you've had to deal with as a male, how you kind of had fixed your insecurities with that, and how you're kind of helping other men now, kind of. You know really be authentic with who they truly are, so they can grow
0: yeah i was I was met with great resistance. I met myself and those parts of myself with great resistance doug so there was a lot of wrestling with the ego the mm. who who I identify with, who I want to identify with, and who i'm actually becoming, which is almost in part not completely out of my control, but the, there's an element of there was something bigger than me moving through me and I couldn't explain it. And I couldn't also control it. And that wasn't an excuse to not do any work. I, if anything, it propelled me to do deeper levels of work and more attentive to what's happening in my world. But ego, man, ego, the the fight to hold on to the way I identified myself, which was often as as a, as a man who could do what he wanted to without repercussion, without, without consequence, you know, if I wanted to cheat on the woman that I was with, then I would just go do that. If I wanted to visit a prostitute, then I would do that. If I wanted to get into a fight, then I would do that. It was just this this neglect of really deeply considering other people and other human beings. And I wasn't considering myself. I was on a self-destructive path because I was avoiding these parts of myself that I really didn't like. I wasn't embracing them. I hated certain parts of myself and how I was being. The guilt and the shame, and I would mask that guilt and shame with anger and frustration instead of actually dealing with those primary emotions. And that's called the elicitation of or the eliciting of secondary emotions and, and primarily anger. And so I, I, I wrestled with that anger, man, massively, massively. And we use, as men, we use anger to mask core feelings that we don't want to feel, whether it's fear or sadness or depression or loneliness or jealousy or whatever it may be. And our go to emotion or our go-to expression is anger. Now sometimes anger is warranted and anger can be a very healthy emotion. It's just misunderstood and it's misdirected so often because culturally we're not really we're not really encouraged to express and familiarly that generally doesn't happen. And we also as men we're consistently seeking this approval and validation. It's part of us at a biological evolutionary level. We identified our self-worth and our value, our utility was really defined by what we added, the value that we added to our communities and our families and the status that we held, you know, the, the, the way that we, we function and operated in, in our tribes. And that's very real today as well. We gain a great deal of our self-worth through our status, through our titles, whereas females are a little different. This is a generalization per se. This isn't a true for every single man or every single woman in any capacity. However, there's some some truth to this when you start looking at masculine and feminine energetics as well. And so for me, it was really relinquishing this, okay, this is who I've been. Can I be someone else? What does that Mm. look like and feel like? And that was very confronting and scary because everything I identified as that I said, this is me, I was letting go of. I was letting go of that shadow behavior. So who am I going to be? And venturing and stepping into the unknown is very confronting. We don't want to do it. We love certainty. We thrive in familiarity, it helps us feel safe. And that means if you're in uncertainty, by default, you're feeling unsafe or you're going to feel unsafe. So I had to feel unsafe a hell of a lot, psychologically, emotionally, and even physically.
1: You're right. I think you know we are taught as men and and anybody really to suppress our emotions and, and not express fully. And we end up in turn just creating all these Other insecurities within us because now our anger is not being properly managed. Our emotions are not being properly regulated, and we're creating more insecurities because we're damaging more relationships. We're damaging ourselves even more. We're losing our own identity. We're not getting work done because of our inability to healthily express ourselves. Right. And I agree, anger is a very healthy and natural emotion. Like there is reason for people to be angry. But I've often said there's angry people. That commit very violent crimes because they can't control their anger. And well, then because they're
0: seeking control as well.
1: Right. I, anger
0: makes us feel empowered.
1: Right. And then there's the angry people who can take that anger, which I've been learning to do over the years, and fuel it into something much more positive. Right. I remember when I was in jail, my cellmate, when I couldn't do a push up, was like, think about what makes you angry, and a lot of what made me angry when I was growing up was the how critical my dad was of me, or being bullied in school. Mm -hmm. And so I was able to channel those negative emotions into something positive. And I know with a lot of what your work does, you know, you and Christine, and and doing a lot of the inner child and working on the inner and the inner child, it's about channeling those negative emotions into something different and reteaching yourself who you are. So talk a bit about like the, so the inner child is something that it's thrown around a lot. Like you see it on Instagram, you see it on you know Facebook and, I, and I've talked to a few people on the podcast about it, but I like what you guys do because you actually have like a whole workshop, which I did. And I, I got a lot out of mm-hmm. on how to like reheal your inner child. So talk about like why it's important to really do the work on the inner child and like, what people can do when they find themselves needing to to heal those wounds
0: well the importance of doing the inner child work is really a reflection of how we want to choose to see ourselves Mm. so you know the inner child represents our big feelings and our big emotions that were both expressed and repressed as well you know so we're talking about playfulness creativity deepest fears sadness repressed anger how you feel about yourself how you give and receive love you know when you feel emotionally unsafe as an adult that's pretty much your inner child screaming for compassion and love and attention remember emotionally unsafe right that's the that's the key there when you're physically unsafe as an adult yeah, your inner child can be triggered as well and amplify the situation, but it was also a, a real-time threat there per se. So, you know, we often deify our parents as children, as young children, and we, we often don't let go of that. And we take that into our adult relationships. And so our, our, our little boy or girl inside of us is constantly seeking for more constantly seeking for approval, constantly seeking for attention, and they struggle to self-regulate. And so, you know, we carry these mm-hmm. core needs as, as human beings, as little people right? that, that, you know, that transcend and move into adulthood. And these, if these needs aren't met, they often turn into shadows and pains and fears within the, within the relationship dynamic as adults, because our relationships are intimate romantic partnerships. They, and this was very true for me. They tend to reflect and be extensions of our parental dynamics during our developmental years. So those basic fundamental needs is we want to be seen. We want to be heard. We want to be understood, particularly for men. We want to be appreciated, accepted, respected, and we want to be loved. Right. And so it's important that we, we process these parts of us. So the inner child is that, you know, it's that aspect of the psyche that it just wants to feel safe in the world. It wants to continue to explore. It's full of curiosity and wonder we often stunt that as adults, man. We don't, we don't give ourselves an opportunity to explore. It's all about business. Or it's all about doing. It's all about structure. And child, the inner child, the aspect of self, the aspect of the psyche and the human nature that wants to explore feels restricted. So what happens when you, when you resist, you know, what we resist It persists. And so we're constantly resisting this need for curiosity and exploration because we think that we have to live by these certain means, these value sets, these collective value sets that are that are very important in the world. And so, you know, connection, intimacy, curiosity, they become diminished, but they're vital parts of who we are. They're vital parts of our psyche, emotional bonding. We're relational beings. So if this inner child is undeveloped, then as adults, we feel lost. And what do we do when we feel lost? We do a couple of things. We keep looking to the outside world for reprieve. So In other words, we become codependent. We look for external stimulus. Enough is never enough. So drugs, alcohol, more work, money, fame, you know, beauty, whatever it is for you. And we connect at a superficial level because connecting deeply, it's too scary. And so that wounded in the child feels very unsettled, fearful, it wants to always be in protection of oneself, protects, protect one's stuff you know if your core wounding is around freedom you're going to want to do everything you can to experience freedom for me it was doing what i wanted it was being with many different women it was it was making decisions irrespective of what others thought of me you know maybe you you become a people pleaser in order to gain some level of intimacy or connection because it's something that you didn't have as a child because and that's a wound right maybe you're you know the, as a man you're the modern day peter pan you know that, that freedom thing but you, you just, you know, enough's never enough and you, and you don't want to grow up, but you're this immature version or expression of, a, of an inner child that is defiant, that is re- hyper rebellious, that is high risk taker. So, you know, we often seek in our adult relationships what we did and did not receive from our primary caregivers. And it's important that we understand that our inner child, you know, it almost requires this, this primal expression in order to not feel so burdened and overwhelmed. And as an adult, if you neglect the needs of these, of these primal expressions like playing and screaming, and we're talking about healthy release of angers, like just hitting a boxing bag or hitting pillows or just screaming and grinding, and what will happen is that in a child will act up and it will show up as regular disruptive patterns of behavior in our adult intimate relationships that will, will push love away and stimulate more loneliness and isolation. And so this is I mean this is the, I could speak to this for a long long time man but this is a, a so how does some
1: what will be a, what are a couple of like steps you know for somebody to start really doing the work so they don't repeat mm. the same patterns they continue to repeat like what are some things they can do is it like a visualization is it journaling is it just writing down like some resentments like what do you think are some good things that people could start doing we will get you back to this episode of the adversity advantage in just one second but first I wanted to give a quick shout out to Danette May and Earth Echo Foods. Danette was a past guest on the podcast and shared her incredible story and how it inspired her to create her products such as Cacao Bliss, which I take every day, either in my coffee or in a smoothie. It starts with 100% organic cacao beans that are naturally kissed by the sun, maintaining its miraculous health benefits. Then it's blended with turmeric, MCT oil, coconut, Himalayan sea salt, cinnamon, and black pepper for the perfect blend to make you feel the best you ever have. The result? Fall in love with a truly decadent, healthy, guilt-free chocolate, removing your cravings, facilitating weight loss, boosting your energy, and reducing your inflammation with one simple drink. Not only that, it is friendly to keto, gluten-free, paleo, vegan, and vegetarian diets. So go to EarthEchoFoods.com forward slash Doug Again, EarthEchoFoods.com forward slash Doug Check it out for yourself and learn more about the amazing benefits of Cacao Bliss. And when you enter in the promo code Doug at checkout, you'll get 15% off. Uh, back to the show.
0: Yeah, well, there, there are various aspects to the inner child. So let's go through some of them. So the vulnerable inner child needs reassurance and tenderness. So where can, as, a child, as, a, as an adult, where can you reassure yourself? Where can you be more self-compassionate to yourself? Where can you speak to yourself with greater kindness? Like gauge yourself, speak, spend seven days, spend a week, every hour, I put an alarm on your phone and just check in with how you're speaking with yourself or at the end of every day, reflect, to reflect on your, the, the self-talk that you had. What's the narrative? Is it one of I'm not good enough, angry at yourself? Do you motivate yourself with mean words and aggressiveness? Like, what, is that, what does that look like for you? So, you know, there's, there's, there's that. That's uh, for the vulnerable in the child. The spiritual in the child needs space to grow and ask questions, come back to innocence and enthusiasm and radiance. So where are you not having enough fun in your life? Go and have some fun. Go and have some play set one day a week or half a day a week to go to a theme park or something or go watch a movie or do something fun that's fun for you, that brings that inner child out in you, right? Same as the the playful inner child. They need lightness, fun and joy and expansiveness. The spiritual inner child needs expansiveness. So go spend time in the mountains or in a valley or uh, an open meadow or something. Get into nature. These things can really help bring out the inner child. The angry inner child needs to emote without being judged and ridiculed. Go see a counselor, go see a therapist, seek some help, be, join a men's group, be witnessed and seen, draw, paint. The creative inner child needs freedom to just be, you know, drawing, painting, creating, sculpture, or whatever. The shy inner child needs um, to feel safe and secure. So what can you do in your world? Maybe it's more a little more routine and structure. Maybe it's creating familiarity in your physical environment to help yourself feel safe and secure. Maybe it's, it's reading a book on you know, insecure attachment styles for, as, as an example. Whatever it may be, how can you help yourself feel more safe and secure? Routine really helps with that. That's part of the masculine container. You know, the lost inner child needs consistency in life. Again, routine and structure can really, really help here. Consistency in how you're spending your time, where you're spending your time. And the shame in, the shame in a child needs to be seen, man needs compassion. And again, start with yourself. So every morning, wake up, spend three minutes in the mirror, seeing yourself, looking at yourself, maybe a full body mirror, naked in the mirror, just looking, you don't have to to say anything. Maybe you evolve that to saying, I love you. I love who I am. I love my body. I love myself. You know, that type of exercise can be really powerful as well.
1: Yeah. And I think there's a lot of people that are listening to this that probably are just being like, you know what? Like I totally relate. I have I can just see myself now having a lot of anger, having a lot of inconsistencies, having a lot of invalidation in my life that stems from my childhood, stems from how I was treated by my parents, stems from how I was treated in school. It stems from my own self-esteem and self-belief. And I need some work. I need to I need to work on myself because what happens, I think, is if you don't work on yourself, it spills out into other areas of your life, other areas. And then you then you get into playing the blame game because cool. we begin to protect ourselves and say, it's not us, it's them. It's not me. It's, you know, him or her, or whatever the case may yep. be. And then the older we get, the harder it becomes, right? Because now we've got these patterns ingrained in us for a lot longer time that it's gonna take a lot more time to rewire that. Because I think, and maybe you correct me if I'm wrong, the real work starts. In the real world, like you can do all the work on yourself you want. You can read all the books. You can do all the therapy. Yep. You can do. But if you can't in
0: relationships, man.
1: yeah. If you can't be cognizant of all this stuff in relationships, and you continue down the same patterns, there's no point, right? Because you have to be able to be self aware of how you're behaving in your interpersonal relationships after you're doing the work. Because if you're not, then there the work needs to be done. And I think a lot of times we expect somebody else to heal us, right? You heal like uh, you hear that. And I I think putting a burden like that on somebody is hard. I think there's a you can hold space for somebody and you can be there, but you can't expect people to fix you. Right. Just like you can't expect to fix somebody else. So I cause I think it's the same, the same thing like goes that like people I think get into these relationships and they're like, well don't try to fix me, but try to fix me. I want you to fix, you know, like and I think it's hard, man. So So talk a bit about like, all right, so now like we've got, we've unpacked the inner child and we've gone back and given ourselves a lot of compassion, security, safety, love, you know, to heal each of these wounds. So you talked a bit about attachment styles, right? I think attachment styles are important to be aware of because I think from what I've learned about attachment styles, I've read the book, Attached. I've uh, obviously attended your workshop. And there's different attachments, right? There's the insecure attachments, which are, you know, anxious, avoidant, anxious, and avoidant. Then there's the secure attachment. And I think the goal is to get to a secure attachment, right? That's the goal,
0: Hmm.
1: right? But talk a bit about like the attachment styles and how to kind of navigate them through relationships and how you can kind of change, you know, based on that so that the relationship don't become dysfunctional based on insecure attachment styles?
0: Yeah, look, I think it's important to know our own attachment style and what our primary attachment style is. I think it plays a role in in developing, cultivating healthy relationships, you know, in how we give and receive love, how we receive affection, how we bond with each other, how we behave. You know, and this this happens really, really really early on, man, within within the first few months. You know, pre-attachment behaviour really occurs within the first six months of, you know, being alive, really, and and how our nervous system perceives that, you know. And then, you know, really up to, I suppose, the age of one year old or, couple, you know, up to a couple of years, a couple of years old, two, three years, that's where we really, the, the fundamental nature of our attachment styles are formed. So understanding our own attachment style, Understanding the attachment style of our partners is really important because what it means is that, you know, and I always speak specifically to attachment styles because there's so much information out there on the internet around that. Um, and, of course, there's amazing books like Attached is a great book as well. Um, and there are many courses out there on that. But, but importantly, understanding what fundamentally drives us when we're in fear or when we're highly stressed or what our core beliefs are, unconscious beliefs are around how we deserve love and how we receive affection and intimacy and understanding that of our partners is crucial to breaking free from the attached trauma or the maladaptive coping strategies that we've developed from a young age. Because our coping strategies, the way we deal with stress and fear and pain is Intimately connected to the way we've attached and the way that we feel safe in relationship or unsafe. And so, our ability to understand that within ourselves and not be massively triggered when that arises because we realize that it's old again, maladaptive meaning, they once these, these strategies that we use as children once work to help keep us safe, but as adults, they're almost a little redundant. And so understanding that, knowing that, and knowing that we're safe during a process, we get to reframe and rewire ourselves. But that really becomes more effective, like you said a moment ago, about doing the work in the real world when our partners are on board, when the people in our lives, our close friends and family are on board with that. And we're working together to break free of old coping strategies and old old behaviors and ways of being, right?
1: Yeah, and I think... you definitely have to be aware of the way you attach and being aware of things that trigger you. And also being aware if you're just constantly being triggered, then there's a lot more work that maybe needs to be done outside of a relationship. Because if you're constantly being triggered by your partner, you're constantly being triggered by somebody, I think it, it takes some time to really work on yourself develop some security within who you are as a person and become a whole so that then you can add value in the relationship. And yeah, people I think will still get triggered. But I think a lot of times if you're constantly being triggered, then I think there's something deeper than just the regular old fights that might happen, you know, once or twice a month or whatever for a few days. Because I also know a lot of people that they really do. they kind of just are in relationships and they kind of just go with the flow and everything just seems to be fine because I guess like they're more, they don't have as much trauma maybe, or they don't, they didn't go through as much stuff as kids. So I think it's important to remember that not everybody has to do the quote unquote work, right? Because there's a lot of successful relationships and successful marriages that people are just blessed. They didn't have abuse, they didn't have uh, abandonment, they didn't have, you know, alcoholic parents where they have created crazy trauma. That is showing up in their their adult life. But so, trauma doesn't
0: have to be trauma doesn't have to be massively explicit or right. intense, such as being at war and coming back and suffering PTSD, or being repeatedly raped as a child and molested, or being locked in a dungeon. No, trauma doesn't have to be any of that. Trauma is that, of course, but trauma trauma can also it resides on a spectrum, and it can also be something like you you grew up in a quite a wealthy affluent household and enough was never enough for your parents When you come home and you get an A minus and your dad would say, what, what is this? Well, what, what, you, you couldn't do any better. Or you couldn't get an A plus. This is okay. But Hey, how about next time doing better and come back next time into an A and say, well, this would be an A plus or, you know, that, that can be true, because then what happens is we carry with us this sense of self that I'm never enough. I've got to do more and be more and have more in order to be worthy and seek my father's and mother's approval. Well, you know, trauma can be just seeing your parents not be intimate with each other. I'm not talking about sexually intimate, I'm talking about just not having a, 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 an openness and a love that they share with you. That can be trauma as well, because then you go through the world thinking, being emotionally distant from people and people then don't feel safe in your presence because you're shut down and you're not vulnerable. And that compound effect of that causes this belief that, oh, I'm not lovable. So there's trauma presents itself in many different ways in subtleties to, to more gross overt actions of, oh, this person's experienced trauma. Like I've been in a massive car accident as an example, not, I personally, I've been in car accidents, but not a massive one. But you know, an individual has been in a massive car accident And that can be trauma. Absolutely. Or it can be, you know, the teacher just saying, Hey, you know, the teacher even ignoring you giving children other uh, giving other children attention and you interpreting that as a in, well, maybe I'm not good enough. Mm. And then we shame ourselves. And that carries on into adulthood. That's trauma.
1: Yeah, you're right. And I know, and you're not the first to say that it doesn't really matter, you know, what you go through. It doesn't have to be like a a super intense experience Mm. for it to be Mm traumatic it's all in how you respond to because and every remembering everybody's different like the same person whose parents might have been like you got an a like get me an A plus yeah it might have gotten those kids to like develop better work ethic going forward they might not have experienced the whole I'm not enough it might you just never know the point I think is knowing that healing and the journey is all individualistic and to stop comparing yourself to someone else's story and that if you find yourself struggling in relationships if you find yourself struggling in your career and how you talk to yourself like where's that all coming from because I think no matter what the issue is like we talked about at the beginning that we love putting a band-aid on problems we love the quick solutions right we love (laughs) and I know like addiction is something that runs rampant in our society various forms of addiction between you know obviously drugs and alcohol, gambling, sex. I know the one thing that you kind of dealt with that you and I have talked about is the whole like love addiction and sex addiction. You know, like to talk a bit about like your experience with that, like and like how you kind of like work through that to come out on the other side.
0: Yeah, you know, I was having this conversation with my wife, Christine, the other day about just generally about compulsions and addictions. Yeah. And does the brain actually ever quote unquote rid itself of That pattern, and I think I think the answer is yes. When we start looking at brain research, we look at neuronal networks that were once very active can then go dormant. But I'm not sure if they actually die and sever completely. And so, part of the behavior, part of the emotional compulsion, attraction, addiction, is also there's also a physiological component in the brain, which you know works in loops. Right, the behavior, the emotion, the, the the thoughts, and the physiology. And there's a reinforcement that takes place. Just wondering, like, does addiction ever actually leave us? It's 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 interesting. And so, how I dealt with it was really, man. I just wanted a new life for myself. I didn't want to live in the shadows. I was living in pain. I was suffering. I wasn't content. I, I was just hiding a lot, and I didn't want that anymore. And I started looking at why am I visiting prostitutes? Why am I am I craving pornography? Why am I craving multiple sex partners What? what is all this? And, and why am i doing this in the shadows more importantly i really just started unpacking all that man and really when i unpacked all that it was this not how being long ago was it? uh when i really really started unpacking that for about six years ago so you know i thought about it beforehand i've never really done any work around it because i just didn't i was not that i was lazy it wasn't about laziness it was i was scared man and i and i just distracted myself and numb, you know, I had the fear around going there. And when I really unpacked all that, it was not being seen as a kid. It was not being appreciated. It was being physically and emotionally abused. Mm-hmm. And this was a coping strategy. This is the way that I got love and I was able to be seen, you know, and I leveraged that and I used that. And, and it made me feel better, but it was like you said a moment ago, short-term gratification there. It wasn't, it wasn't fulfilling. It wasn't meaningful. It wasn't lasting. And I had to really, Go back into those places as a kid, not to relive those painful memories, but to release those trapped feelings. As I started to do that, man, I really found a less and less of a need for that. And every, you know, times when I'd be stressed or have fear or anxiety or I didn't feel enough, I'd think about, oh, you know, I could go go, you know, pornography or sex or prostitution or whatever it was. But I'd, I'd really sit and ask myself, where is this really coming from? And every time I did that, I'd break a habit. And, you know, as Joe Dispenza says, I break the habit of being myself. And so those neuronal networks and the emotional compulsions around that would diminish and come down. And, you know, now my coping strategies are healthier. I don't, I don't have that need. It's not an incessant need in any capacity. There's been years of working on that as well.
1: Now, do you believe that pornography can impact relationships? I mean, because that's a big thing now is. Hmm. You know, is, is pornography healthy to watch when you're in a relationship? What does it do to the brain? And I mean, I know you've had experience with it. Like, what, what is your view on that and why?
0: So what it does to the, what it does to the brain is interesting. And, 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 you know, the quote unquote jury's still out on that. But what, the best way to look at it is this. When we look at pornography, we're looking at actors. People are acting. Oh, they're having sex, but they're acting. And so everything's almost quote unquote perfect. Mm. And you know everyone's orgasming, everyone's happy, everyone's got a great body, and you know mainstream pornography, right? Uh, Everyone's satisfied. All these fantasies are played out uh, in 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 commonplace scenarios, like you know, just rolling up and and saying to a woman on the street, "Hey, why don't you come and have sex with me?" She says, "Mm, "Okay, I thought about." But that doesn't really happen. Sure, it might happen in real life every now and then, but it does. It's not like a common occurrence. But the brain perceives that as, oh, this is common. This is normal. This is that This is what, that's very deceiving, deceptive to the brain. It gives us a false sense of illusion of what relationships are. We project those ideals and those fantasies then into our real life relationships, if we even have them. So when we have that addiction to pornography, again, it's easier to start. There's no rejection in pornography. Everybody's happy. Everybody's orgasming. There's no self-worth issues, so the, you know, particularly for men, they can masturbate. They, they're pleasing the woman because there's a projection right there's a there's a transference that's taking place so it's all very false and the man says well it's easier to either visit a prostitute and i'm paying for a service or it's easier to engage in pornography because everybody's happy no one's rejecting me i'm not asking a woman out and she's saying no you're too ugly or no i don't want to be with you or no i have a boyfriend and we take it personally because because These are so many individuals that haven't dealt with their painful past. They haven't dealt with their childhood wounding. They haven't dealt with their insecurities. They haven't dealt with their lack of low self-worth and they compensate. And so pornography isolates and destroys relationships. Now, is that the case for everyone? No, not necessarily. There's what we call, you know, quote unquote ethical pornography or pornography that's more naturalized. And look, we're, we're, we're polyamorous beings per se. We have an affinity to love many, many people. How we express that love is our individual choice. And yes, it's also influenced by cultural values and constructs. So there's a, there's, a, there's a game that we have to play within ourselves of how deeply do we want to evaluate? How deeply do we want to spend time really understanding who we are? So with that said, if a couple's, uh, if they feel healthy in their relationship and they want to watch pornography together, I, I'm not going to say no to that. It depends where they're coming from, their history, what they've dealt with, what they haven't, why they're watching pornography. You know, I'm not going to say to someone, don't engage in ethical non-monogamy, and that's a blanket statement, non-monogamy, because there are various types of non-monogamy, non-monogamous relationships. But, you know, that's, that's not for me to, to, to say do or don't, but you just got to understand what you come from. Ask what you come from. Is. And for the most part, most people they come from is, I'm really coming from a place of pain, numbing, and distraction and ease. And so, pornography, for for the most part, it really destroys people's lives and relationships. It's not a healthy thing for the most part.
1: Yeah. I mean, I would agree with you 100% on that. And I think, especially as men, right? Like, we, I mean, I'm not that women, I'm sure, I mean, obviously, I'm sure women struggle too, that we we have that like alpha male mentality sometimes. You know, I think people that are like, oh, well, it's not that big of a deal. I'll get through it. I'll get through it. I'll get through it. I'll get through it. Get through it. And then, sure enough, you, you look back and you're like, like, wow, I've been, you know, you might, somebody might've been watching porn for like six months and not going a day without it. And then their relationship's falling apart. And they're like, ah, it's not that it's just because of, and then like, they don't see the correlation at all. And really there is a lot of correlation I'm sure. Right.
0: Oh, a hundred percent. There can be massive amounts of correlation because we, we, we stop wanting to connect with people. Right. And it's also, it's very pornography is very easy because again, there's no there's no disappointment. Mm. Right. There's an ease of access there as well. It's just it can it's a quick fix gratification, sure, it's it's quick release, it's easily accessible. It's it's for for men particularly, but women as well. So oh well, why wouldn't I do that? But it's taking us away from being intimate with our loved ones. Because yeah. Yeah. that I
1: requires mean- work. Yeah. And like the one thing I wanted to ask you is I think one of the, one of the things that's, there's a lot of adversity and there's a lot of controversy over is when to have sex in a relationship. Right. I mean, you
0: mean when you first start dating?
1: Yeah. I mean, I know like my buddy Rob, who um, I know, you know, you, you two connected his whole view is wait until marriage. Right. And that's the Mm -hmm. whole, he's been the 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 guy who hasn't waited till marriage and has seen relationships fall apart because of sex, you know, because people have sex too early. It creates this like,
0: you know. I, I, I mean, I agree with that, man. Most people have sex too early because most people aren't connected to their bodies. They're not connected to their sexuality. They're still coming from wounding. They're still coming from compensations. Like I'm going to have sex to make myself feel better or I'm going to deem myself to be worthy if I have sex. Like it's that people are coming from a wounded, painful place still. So of course, uh, uh, of course, having sex too early can be an issue. For people that are mature and grounded in themselves and are secure in themselves and know who they are, that's a personal choice whether they want to wait until they're committed in a longer term relationship or they want to wait for a really well aligned person. It's also biologically normal to be having sex. We're driven, fertilization driven sex is a big part of our physiological function and what drives us unconsciously to mate and to connect with people intimately and emotionally as well. That's still a part of who we are. It's a very strong part of who we are. It's 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 inbuilt within us because it keeps our species alive. So you know we can't deny that. And also over the years, you know when I say over the years, over the last five to seven million years, but even a few hundred thousand years, one or two million years, we've also developed expanded consciousness, the advent of language, the complexity of culture, you know the way we understand timelines. Like a lot has changed in the last million or two years. The development of our prefrontal cortex, the advancement of our limbic system. So it's not just about fertilization-driven sex. Now, now we're layering, you know, childhood developmental stuff over that complexity of society, money, you know, that we, we, you know, the the fact that we don't live in a volatile environment. A lot of factors affecting what drives sex and intimacy.
1: Yeah, I think the, I agree. I I think so many people have sex for the wrong reasons. It's for some sort of in, internal wound that is not being met, right? Like, I think physical attraction fades, and I think people need to remember that, but everything else you have to deal with, right? And it's like, what does your relationship stand on? If only thing that's keeping it together is sex, if nothing else is relevant, nothing else is connection, if you don't have the same common values and beliefs and connections, like, what are you gonna stand on if for some reason, like, Somebody like is is incapable of having sex or you know they put on weight or whatever the case may be, where they might become less att- physically attractive, there has to be something deeper than that. Yeah, right? And I think the question too that's asked to be asked is like, why? Like why do you want to have sex? Is it because you want to get over somebody or you want to move forward, or is it because you want to feel validated? or is it because you genuinely love and care about that person? you can see yourself spending the rest of your life with them? So you wanna connect with them at the most deepest level possible, which is like the merging of two bodies, right?
0: Sacred sexuality.
1: Yeah. So the last thing I wanna talk to you about and I wanna ask you about is, we're looking at a society right now where the average marriage, I think lasts like six years, seven years, divorce rates over 50%. After this pandemic, I don't even know where the numbers will be. I know it's significantly higher too. Mm -hmm. What do you think is the big issue? Like, what do you think is the issue with people not being able to stay together? Do you believe in like fighting it out until death do us part? Like, what is your view on that?
0: Uh, I think there are a number of issues, my friend. I think there's just one big issue. I think there's a number of issues. I think we live in a very fast paced society. I think we have access to variety like we've never had before. So our brains are very confused. We have easy outs. Another big part of that is that we place so much emphasis on one person being out everything without having mm-hmm. tried It puts a lot of pressure on each other. And, and, and the pressure cooker, it, we just, it just explodes, you know, our elastic bands can only take so much uh, stretch back before they snap, you know? So there's a number of different things. I think we're not addressing our own wounding. And so we're bringing that into relationship But instead of the intimate adult relationship being an opportunity to actually heal our pain and our past and ourselves, we're just saying, we're fighting all the time and we're just saying, you know what, we're not meant to be together instead of going a little deeper. Is every relationship meant to be forever? No, I don't think so in any capacity. It's a very, I don't think it's a very new thing, but it's, it's a somewhat of a newish thing. Even I think in, in old times, hundreds of thousands of years ago where we really band together, we still didn't live that long. So it's, it's a new thing that we're together for 50, 60, 70 years. I'm not saying marriage is wrong. or Monogamy is wrong in any capacity. I think it's a very much of a, a personal choice, but often those personal choices are influenced by outside forces that we don't, we just take for gospel and we give our power away or it's influenced by unconscious wounding. And so th- there's a lot that's going on as to why marriages are disintegrating and why unions are disintegrating. People in non-monogamous camps are going to say, well, because monogamy is not a natural thing. Maybe. And you know, <laughs> And that's why marriages are busting up. I don't think that's the core reason why marriages are busting up. I I think I've outlined what I feel some of the core reasons are. Pornography lends itself to that as well. And again, not blaming pornography, right? It's, it's It's more than just that. But we just don't know ourselves. We're not taking the time to know ourselves. Education is part of the issue. In our education system, like you look at these archaic ways of teaching. I mean, the education, the, the contemporary education system is is predicated and modelled on industrial teaching, industrial, the imparting of information for the, during the industrial era to to help workers become more efficient and effective. As an example, marriage as a as an institution, constitution in contemporary times is, is really predicated on economics. Like, so our values are distorted, bro. Like, it's not that oh, marriage is wrong or long-term relationships don't work. It's not that it's that we don't know ourselves. We, we are broken and we're not healing ourselves. Not that we need to fix anything, but we're not putting ourselves back together because it's hard work. We're not taught these things in school. And so again, not blaming education. There's a bigger macro and micro issue, macro problem and macro micro problem occurring. And we have to address both top down grassroots, bottom up. So you know, th- there's a number of reasons as to why marriages are breaking up. And I, I really feel if we address all these issues and we spend the time doing that, I think we'd be more careful with who we choose, how we choose, why we choose, and when we choose. Mm.
1: Couldn't have said it better myself, man, but obviously it sounds better coming from you because this is like your, <laughs> your wheelhouse. So like, what do you have coming up? I know you have a inner child workshop coming up at the end of August. and yes. then right? Yeah. And, and yep. you also have a live retreat in September, yep. right? End of,
0: end of September. Yeah. I think it's twenty twenty 24th, 27th or 24th, 28th of September. Yep. Here in Austin, Texas. Yep. The Renaissance. So I'll be, t- I'll be uh, sure to,
1: to, to put links to that in the show notes. So where can people find out more about you? I know you're very active on Instagram, but where else?
0: Yeah, you can jump on very simply growithsteph.com, S T E F, com And there's a heap of freebies there for you as well. And just some information that takes you to my takes you to my main website as well. But Instagram's uh, or Facebook, YouTube, whatever, at Stefanos
1: Steph, man, like I I very, you know, much value you know our friendship in this episode. I think it's gonna bring a lot of clarity and healing, not to just men, but to, to people you know, around the world who are looking to really take a deeper look inside themselves and say, you know, I'm going to stop blaming everybody else for my issues Mm -hmm. and really look within and say, okay, like, what can I work on internally so that Mm -hmm. externally I can shine and be that beacon of light Mm -hmm. um, for other people? So for those listening, you're going to want to kind of just really like, Maybe listen to this episode when you're meditating and you got your eyes closed or where you can really do some deep thinking within yourself and see how this relates to you. Because no matter if you're struggling with trauma, or you're struggling with relationships, you're struggling with yourself, we can all take something from this. So um, Steph, I want to thank you once again for coming on.
0: Thank you, brother. I appreciate you and of course our friendship also.
1: Love it, man. So once again, if you you know really enjoyed this episode, please reach out to Steph, reach out to my to myself. We'd love to hear from you. Leave us a five-star review. And once again, you're listening to this episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bopes, and we will see you next time.